Hi, I'm Max. Hey, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Max, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I'm Max Yamasaki, and I would like to plug moss. It's really nice, like, to touch. Like the green fuzzy stuff? Yeah. I didn't also realize, like, how much it changes from season to season. And this year I've, like, watched the moss grow its little uh, seed spreaders. Spore, moss spores? I guess that's fun- fungus. Yeah. It's the old adage, moss always points towards the sun. Is that true? I don't know. It's like, isn't this like an old... Uh... April was showing me how oak trees grow the other day when we were in her park, and there was definitely moss on all sides of it. But there might have been more moss on one side than another, and maybe I just didn't notice. <laughs> I wonder if it's more true above a certain... if it, in like northern Europe. Yeah, that wouldn't support. I bet it's more true on like at certain latitudes. I mean, I have certainly never used moss for navigation, but I don't know. I remember reading it in a list of ways to navigate. It's certainly a, a trope, like a Boy Scout trope. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I, now I'm thinking about just having like a potted plant that's just moss just to like reach out and like, like you have that instead of a fidget spinner. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Oh, and stroke it. I've got one of those uh, morimo. It's a moss ball that lives in the water. And they naturally occur in like one lake in Japan and then one lake in uh, Serbia, I think. But you can get them at garden stores because they're trendy. Wow, it's pretty exclusive. Yeah. (laughs) And do you have to like keep your water at a certain temperature? They don't seem super picky. I've left mine in a mason jar full of water, uh, and it's it's been there for several months. And every now and then I grab it out of the water and I squeeze it. Right. It this was my next question. <laughs> yeah. So it's robust. It's a robust moss ball. Yeah. They can have a kids apparently, but I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I would, I would definitely want something I can just like squeeze absentmindedly for half an hour, which I bet this wouldn't work with. Poor moss ball. Maybe we could breed it to be tough enough, you know? Aaron, have you introduced yourself? <laughs> uh, I have not. But, I mean, I also like moss. We should, so, we should get to that know. part <laughs> so, we, so we can start the show. Uh, well, yeah, I'm Aaron Gaudet. Uh, I'm working on a game called Coup. It's a game about building your own language and using it to create civilizations of people. Cool. Some posts on my blog, some gifts on Twitter, and that's me. All right. Are we ready to start on some topics? Let's go. Let's do it. Max, your topic is the TV show Russian Doll, an emotionally correct magic logic. Yeah. So I watched Russian Doll a while ago, and it still holds up in my mind as like just one of the best TV shows I've ever watched. It's so good. And at first, when I heard about the premise of it, I wasn't interested because I had like no confidence that this could be done. And the premise is sort of a Groundhog's Day recurring day of life, but uh, Mm -hmm. over the course of a a TV show and not a movie. Yeah. And at first I was like, that seems like it could only be overly drawn out, but they pace it really well, both in terms of like characters and writing and mechanical reveals, uh, because most episodes end with something that's like, has really good kind of, uh world implications for the kind of 
the force unknown that's causing this event. Yeah, I was really impressed with that show. Like they, it kept being like every episode kept being interesting. Does does it repeat every season or does it repeat every episode? I think there's just one season so far. I mean, is there more than one season at this point? They announced one, but then I I haven't heard anything in a long time about that. Because like that, I feel like that season ended pretty satisfactorily. I know it was such a clean thing. I, when they announced another season, I was like, I I didn't quite understand how or why. Oh, it just could be the, uh, not Coen brothers, but, um, the Fargo TV show, how every season is just a completely different generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, to answer your question, Aaron, it's like, it's every time the main character dies, she restarts from the same point, uh, which is a particular evening. And so it varies how much she dies in an episode. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Oh, I see. So it's not on a strict, since two out of three of us are are Japanese, uh, I was going to drop to Tommy Galaxy. I don't know if anyone here has has seen that before. Mm. No, it doesn't ring a bell. So uh, the show is, is awesome. Um, there were also two feature film releases, uh, one called, um, I always forget because it has a very kind of galloping kind of title. It's like night, night, walk on girl or something is like the name of the second film, uh, notable for it's kind of like strange sort of like Western blend art style that you don't typically see in anime, but The premise, and there's no spoilers here, is there's a high school student and every episode he's just replaying his entire high school experience again. But there's like a strange sort of, there's like a strange sort of like mainline sort of like linking event between, between, I don't want to give too much away, but I think it's, it's pretty well done. So, and you kind of explore his psyche throughout the whole, the whole season. Um, and there's a lot of like little inner jokes. And so you're, this is a show where like every episode is four years. Yeah. So and <laughs> the other thing that's unique about it is he talks extremely fast. And this is kind of like the the, the joke. Um, and and uh, again, I want to say more, but I don't I don't want to spoil it. But, you know, there's almost sort of a breakdown of the mechanic as, as you progress the time mechanic. But yes, every 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 episode is like his four year high school experience. And it's basically at the end of it, he, you know, he feels very uh, like unfulfilled. He's like, ah, oh, well, this is terrible. So like he goes and he does it again. He like joins a different club and it's like, you know, it's like the 12 clubs that he joins or circles that he joins while he's in high school. And um, and there's some reoccurring characters and, you know, and that that's sort of like the interesting part about it again without without giving too much away. But I also highly recommend the Walk on Girl feature film. I saw that in theaters and it was awesome. Does it feel very video game inspired in terms of like replaying but choosing a different club type thing? <laughs> it it does not. Like I think the most video gamey time mechanic like linear piece of content I've probably ever engaged with is that Cruise film, Edge of Tomorrow. There's like two films, Edge of Tomorrow, that's right. Yeah, there's two names for it. Um that feels like a video game in more ways than one. There's actually three names for it. Ah. ah. <laughs> Tatami Galaxy has a very alt kind of flavor, which is cool for all the, the indie kids that want to feel indie because of the art style and the uh, the color palette and so on and so forth. So 
it feels kind of suitably alternative for for the folks that want to engage with that sort of thing. Can you say the name one more time? Yes, it is uh, Tommy Galaxy or Yojohan uh, Shinwa Taike, I think. The the original name of the book that Edge of Tomorrow is based on is All You Need Is Kill. Ah, <laughs> right. <Right>. yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the movie, the Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt movie based on the book, they decided to call Edge of Tomorrow. And then they they put very bold in the middle of the poster for it, like bigger than the title, uh, Live, Die, Repeat. And so many people thought that was the name that in the DVD <laughs> release and subsequent like theater releases, they um, they changed it. So the name of the movie was Live, Die, Repeat. <laughs> yeah. Live, die, repeat. I saw that in, in Germany where it was called Edge of Tomorrow. I My understanding was that the Western release was, was Live, Die, Repeat, but I like your story better. Also, it's probably actually factually accurate, but, uh, <laughs> but I definitely I definitely prefer that. I listened to an audio book of the book of it, uh, and it was good because it was like on Audible and it had all three names on it. All you need <laughs> is kill, colon, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, colon, Live, Die, Repeat. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, you can like just shove some of those keywords into the tags. No, yep. uh, they had to do it like an eBay auction instead, I guess. I guess, right? Yeah. Exactly. So this is cool. We could definitely talk about lots of lots of time mechanic things, but I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty interested in emotionally correct magic logic. Yeah, let's hear about that. I definitely want to hear about that. So uh, what I mean by that is basically like I'm a fan of when something is a very mechanical magic system or sci-fi that relies on like a key constraint and then builds off of that in a way that makes sense and is pleasing. But a thing that is, feels kind of rarer and harder to pin down for me is like when the, the actual mechanisms of a magic system aren't stated, but they feel emotionally correct. Like, it doesn't feel arbitrary, like it's like, oh, well, the author just chose for this to happen, but it, it like rings true to the story in a way that that makes so much sense for the situation that um, it doesn't matter if it makes like strict mechanical sense. I am curious. So that's that sounds awesome, like very organic. I'm curious if there are internal inconsistencies, not because I... I, I, you know, like this is this is like what bothers me, but like if if there are, and if so, if you noticed any, and if so, if that mattered to you, like is it is it actually consistent, but it's just applied so well in context, or is it kind of inconsistent, but like no one really cares because it's just authored so well? For Russian Doll, the way in which there's sort of a mystery as to what is causing this Groundhog's Day effect, this is, I would say, a very moderate spoiler. But it doesn't end up showing you what causes it. And I think that's a very good thing. And it, it's like a very, very light touch when it tells you like kind of what is happening. The characters are like overtly trying to figure out, you know, the mechanics of this world. But it's very clear that like their guesses are based very much on like maybe like their personal experience and their job experience. 
but it's not, it doesn't tell you enough detail to know whether the things that are occurring are inconsistent, but they don't feel inconsistent regardless. Like my friend and I were trying to write a webcomic several years ago, and the main conceit that we had was this kind of time travel where the time travel is between the panels of a comic. Like the the presentation of the panels is a real thing to their world. And it's not something they observe, but if like a wall aligns with the edge of a panel and they knock on it, it's heard in the next panel. Oh, interesting. So if that's backwards in time or forwards in time, then you can like transfer information that way. And we had a soul arc kind of laid out in terms of like being able to like have these people deduce what is happening and at first just kind of like transfer information by like knocking slightly into the past and we went in a intentionally super non-cinematic way of dealing with that where we were just like oh you can then have infinitely powerful computers by just having it like run through every possible guess and just send back the one that it guessed latest to its past self. So it's like, start here. And then it keeps doing that until it just immediately has the right answer for any problem. But the trouble was, as we came up with like the less mechanical and the less kind of main ideas for like how we would use this. And like, there's the main question of like how the next panel is decided. And in reality, of course, like we decide that as the author but we wanted to try and have like a flow that made sense. If it suddenly was very convenient for the characters, what the next panel was and say, then like they could suddenly convey a piece of information perfectly to the next panel. Like even if we came up with a logical explanation, it would feel very contrived. And so the thing that was really, really remarkable about Russian doll to me is that it's like, the story and the mechanics were so kind of infused into each other that even though you're invested in like figuring out what these mechanics are, the mechanics, they both feel like a real thing that's like existing in, in what's happening, but they're, they make so much sense for the characters. I guess the general question is like, how do you make something feel mechanically right? And I think it comes up in different ways and like, when you have special cases that build up to something, it, it feels more consistent than if you had no special cases and it was something very consistent. This is very abstract, so it's it's difficult to grasp, but you know, it, it's interesting because when I think about emergent game design, the consistency is sort of, and I think even Jim had said this on a, on a previous podcast or said something similar, the consistency is kind of a given, like your system has to work, right? It's, it's kind of like a hard requirement of, of the, of the artifact that you're creating in a sort of purely creative game or a purely emergent game, right? You have everything that is, is that emerges from this generative core and de designing that, um, you don't really design that flow. You design almost like the, the, the funnel that it goes through or like the constraint space that the player is, is, is in. And that's interesting because I, when I do that, I suppose it almost feels like I'm harness, not harnessing, like, like filtering or, or sort of finessing like a big wave of data or interesting noise or like emergent stuff that's like coming in and then trying to, trying to make a space for people to create their own narratives. 
And then when you look at something that is linearly constrained or narratively constrained like film or, or Russian doll, which I, I haven't seen, this is difficult for me to comment on, but, and, and, and your strip as well, that sounds pretty, pretty neat. It's like, uh, so much of it is about the narrative of, well, I suppose whatever it is, the principal character or, um, or kind of the narrative of the world, right. And whatever, like it's focused on. And so I'm, I'm curious when when we look at that, I mean, the question is like, how is the character, uh, whether it's a specific character or an abstract kind of character grouping or, you know, something, how, how is that like developing right through the lens of this system? Or because I suspect knowing nothing about Russian doll that when they were writing it, right, they were thinking, do we bring this system of mechanics to the forefront or do we use it as a tool to explore the psyche? ecology of the main character or uh her choices or her her story or sort of what she's struggling with right is it something that you paint with kind of like you touch up like here and there you have something in it and it adds or removes from that or enhances it or is it something that like it's the core of the of the thing and if so if it's like a core sort of piece i don't know that's like a separate conversation right i mean now i'm thinking about world building and, you know, and how magic systems work and this sort of thing. And, and the question of like ordering dependency is like, well, do you have the narrative, the arc that you are trying to tell? And then you use the system to enhance that. But really the core, the core thing is that arc. Or is it, do you have the system? And really what you're trying to do is highlight that system through, through narrative and like bring light to different parts of the system that you think are really cool and, and weave stories into it. So maybe that like approach from looking at it from one side or the other may be useful. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, what's sick about this is, I mean, maybe a couple formal tools like bottom up versus top down or like synthetic versus analytic, you know, might apply. And like maybe, maybe systemic games are bottom up because you make the system and then um, you like build up from there. And maybe like, you know, fiction is top down because it's like you do what you want and then it changes. But just an idea I just had just now, I don't know, is like it, it seems clear that games, because they're systemic, must satisfy the criteria or, or like must constrain the designer to like start from the system and then they can't break that and they have to build up to making the story that they want. But imagining like designing a game where the player can make choices and it actually just changes the internal consistency of the, like, or it just doesn't obey the, like you can just do things and the, it doesn't have to be consistent. I mean, obviously the machine model is going to be consistent, but Text-based games can be more in that yeah. space. <laughs> there was a choose-your-own-adventure website-ish thing that I made. It's I let the domain lapse because it was expensive to maintain, but um, called celebritiesinprison.com. And the idea was that there was just a... <laughs> did like you a, sell that and make a lot of money? <laughs> no, I did not. I was... <laughs> I just let it lapse. Unfortunately, I wonder what's there. What's there now? It's probably like a. It's probably like a domain squatter. But um, but it was a um a binary tree of choosable path uh stories, and when you got to a empty leaf, you could write it yourself. Was the idea, and when I was writing these myself, I decided that. Any choice you made, and that, like, obviously, this wasn't this wasn't enforced in any way when other people wrote nodes, but um, I decided that any choice you made could 
change not just future events, but also events leading up to the story to, the, to that node that hadn't been specified in the parent nodes. So it could change the entire situation of the story as long as what you change wasn't specified in the parent nodes. That is pretty, that is pretty interesting. I mean, that, that seems to satisfy as well, right? The, the internal inconsistency, which I think is pretty, pretty great. Yeah, well, <laughs> it would mean that like any, any given playthrough was consistent with itself, if not the alternate reality playthroughs. I mean, is this this isn't up anywhere? Presumably, I mean, I would love to see some. Uh, you know, I bet you can find it on archive.org. Interesting. Well, it was live though, right? So it was. You wouldn't be able to add anything new, but you could uh, you could play the game as it existed. Was the name really uh, important to the to the concept? <laughs> I mean, it was that was the that was the premise. <laughs> Another reason I let it lapse is that like I had no sort of quality control in there and right. when I released Frog Fractions and mm. a bunch of people like went and added bullshit, I was just like, oh, this is ruined now. It looks like archive.org does not have... Wait, no, it does. Okay. Yeah, you could totally read this story, mm. but you can't add to it. I'm in it for the... I want to read, you know, the canon changing. <laughs> this is this is what I want to see. <laughs> right. I thought you were going to bring up uh, Lambda Moo. I don't know what that is. Text adventures. Lambda, Lambda Moo. Well, it's before my time, so I shouldn't pretend, oh, you know, when I was, I was in the 90s playing Lambda Moo. It's a mud, but it's sort of a creative mud where the players actually have basically uh, uh dev access to the thing and there's sort of a like a front end which paints you as a wizard that can make verbs and this sort of thing you know and make entities and rooms and stuff like that but really it's just kind of a like a play a mud engine and you can still like there are servers now there's even like a github one i had one running for a while and you can have people join your join your mud you know lambda moo server and make rube goldberg machines and roam around and talk to little like bots that you write and stuff like that and it's all text-based and kind of takes like the concept of a mud which is already sick and kind of blows it up to be even more sort of um low level and you know who doesn't like being a wizard and wizarding yeah that sounds like it it could be it would really depend on the players to be good or not (laughs) (laughs) yeah i have too many thoughts about that sort of kind of unconstrained play space and its and its community. <laughs> <laughs> we should move on to the next topic. Cool. Yeah. Aaron, your topic is uh, my favorite CAPTCHAs. Yeah, actually, Max and I were just chatting before this podcast and he said he was going through a CAPTCHA and he said, he asked me, what is your favorite CAPTCHA? <laughs> and I answered Dropbox. Because we live on a VPN here and I do go through captures all the time. And what I've noticed is that almost everyone ends up with a Google captcha. And on Dropbox, you end up with like sort of weird. I always assume that they are made in house, but to be honest, they probably outsource them. So for some time, it was matching dice. So like there were six images and each one was two dices or two die rolled. And then you had to pick the two images that had like the same dice images on them. 
And uh, this was actually like pretty difficult, I have to admit. So you'd go through three of these and I'd be like, what's the, there's like the lizard and then, you know, there's like the other one. Um, and recently what they changed to is uh, matching spiral galaxies. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that's pretty neat. But um, not that I have a lot of capture experience, but, but that's my answer to your question, Max. So the Google one for reference is the one where like it tells you to to click on all the squares with a crosswalk in it. Yeah. Yes. And then presumably like, I think this is like to train machine learning. And so like, they're also comparing your answers to other people who are given the same image. Yeah. I always, I always wonder. Oh, my roommate and I were struggling with the like ethics where they were like, uh, I don't want to give Google uh, free information. And then I was like, but what if you train that like self-driving car slightly worse? So then are you putting people at risk by giving it bad info? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, to, to really do the most damage, you need to figure out who your crosswalk identifying partner is, contact them online and then collude with them to give bad answers that's my new dating app is uh find your captcha buddy <laughs> it just has you enter like 50 captchas and then afterwards it's like this person also receives the same captchas as you congratulations your captchas captcha buddies yeah <laughs> uh, my favorite captchas i've seen i i buy or find like niche software relatively often and so It'll be like one person who's coded their own website and they're just trying to prevent bots from downloading their thing. So then it's just like a, a very bespoke, it doesn't have to be that secure <laughs> barrier. Uh, and I like when they're just like a specific question. Like it was someone who was like the Swiss guy uh, and he had this gear program that I liked. And his CAPTCHA question was, how many eyes are in my name? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, if you entered the, the ones that were visible in his first and last name, he let you through. But then there was a little note that was like, you didn't know my middle name. Smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. I, I forgot that those were considered captures because I'm so used to thinking of the, the image captures. That is awesome. Now I remember all of like the software I've downloaded, you know, where it, like asks you to do some linear algebra or whatever in a question or like answer some questions about C, which did happen to me. I, th I think I like downloaded some library and it was like, what is the, you know, what is the invariant in this loop or something? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I had, uh, I had created my own blogging software back when I was a web developer just to run my website. And I didn't bother implementing any sort of security until I actually started having a spam problem. Like at some point, someone took the time to figure out my bespoke blogging software enough to spam it, to like auto automatically post comments. <laughs> and then I implemented a CAPTCHA, which was <laughs> if you are human, type the word human into this box. And it stopped all spam, like no, no problems ever from then on. Or the bots just typing bot into the box? <laughs> they were leaving it blank because, <laughs> because they, uh, they hadn't programmed that box in. 
That's that's how you would have known they would have been cheeky with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they uh if they had then subsequently like updated their spamming software to include the word human, I would have just changed the word. And I'm sure that would have given me another couple of years of spam free. Uh <laughs> Oh, I just hope they um they didn't do that and the reason it stopped is they were like, Well, we're fine with spamming, but lying? We can't do that. Yeah, not acceptable. <laughs> so I thought you were going to ask, like, I thought this question was about, like, what's your favorite instance of a CAPTCHA? Mm. There's a, a webcomic called CAPTCHA Comics. Okay. And this was back when they would have you type words, like, from a, back when it was, they were trying to, like, oh, to fix yes. badly OCR'd books. Yes. <laughs> and so, they would show you these two words and you would type them in and, and they would draw a comic based on that. And my favorite one of those was based on the the phrase crook things. And it was just like somebody acting suspicious and someone else saying, hey, what are you doing over there? And he said, crook things. <laughs> Which I, <laughs> it's just so delightful. It's like, it's, it's both too specific and too general to be useful. <laughs> uh, I mean, are those auto-generated? I think they are. I think they're... Um, I think they're like Project Gutenberg scanned a book and we couldn't, or maybe was, for all I know, it was, it was the Google Books thing, but it was Google all the way down. Uh, but we, we OCR'd <laughs> this book and these were the words we were confused about. And so, like, a lot of the time you would get just a mush of barely visible glyphs and you'd be like, I, that's not a word, buddy. Like, <laughs> This is tangential, but... There was this project I saw a long time ago. I'm not sure I could find it. It was someone who, it was a, this Japanese artist who, uh, she proposed this as a new way of like, uh, doing like a divination reading. Uh, and it was like a kanji OCR program. And what she did was she had a bunch of paintbrushes on pendulums and had them swing across a page <laughs> randomly <laughs> and like stopped and started them and until she had things that were like almost almost valid characters and then just put them in a row and had like the OCR software just like just like what like what's your character for today and it's you you just <laughs> spin this this pendulum for a while and uh, the computer gives you your true answer interesting it's it's like the the natural rng the rng of the the paint paint on pendulum yeah i like that that'd be a good way to have a uh uh like a randomly generated game but the novelty is um you give it a picture for the seed so then it's like all right here's the seed of the game that you're playing and you just submit a picture for it and then like the daily seed would be an interesting picture. <laughs> I swear this is, um, I can't point to anything in particular, but I definitely feel like I have, um, cause this is, uh, in the like PCG community, um, it's always a fun thing. It's like, you know, where does your, uh, this is the RNG source, you know, like of the day. And it's like something hilarious. I think the question always, when you do stuff like that is, whether it's just kind of a gimmick, the mapping from the source to the destination, or whether there's some sort of um, like diligence and like thinking about what that what that relationship is, because 
sometimes you just see uh, works that are like, uh, I was actually talking with um, with my friend Jonah about this the other day because um, I once uh, worked with a bunch of architecture people and, and you know, they were doing some really like alt work at the time. And a lot of it was just, here's a song and now it's a building. And after you see like the 50th, it was a song, but like now it's a building, you start to really question the validity of converting songs to buildings. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, uh, so sometimes I wonder about that. You know, I just want to make sure there's a there's a relationship. But um, I definitely think the the web meme is funny. Of like, this is the image of the day, and people are playing the. I think um, a lot of those rogues, uh, roguelikes, you know, where it's like map a day games would benefit highly from. This is the image of the day that you know that makes your world. That'd be pretty funny. Yeah, these three cats in a basket is an incredible level. right i mean in a sense it's almost like human readable hashing right where it's like we have a lot of things and we need to create names for them that people can distinguish between easily so then you have some kind of hashing algorithm that just generates like something readable like a name that makes no sense you know like word salad or like like an image or something like this and then people can start to like identify this data that they otherwise couldn't couldn't see but like with this kind of tag i think there was like an initiative to do this with zip codes if i believe and it was like some kind of system for for hashing like a location but the hash doesn't result in a you know like a six digit number instead it results in like a five word string or something and uh i think this did the rounds on the news maybe a a year ago or something so i definitely think that is neat or at least applicable right to people not just scratching their heads like here's my git commit 0x53 dead beef. I like um, the default file names for the 3D modeling program online uh, Tinkercad, where it does the format of an adjective and then a sort of sensical non-word. And this has added real things to my like dialect, where I was making a model of a bunny and the default name it gave the file was incredible bomble and i was like yeah this is a pretty incredible bomble and (laughs) (laughs) so now my friends and i just refer to rabbits as bombles (laughs) very appropriate Ah, the diffusion of the of the english language i recently saw on twitter and if someone can back me up on this i think it's worth saying but if they can't it'll just be hearsay of a korean operating system or file management piece of software that randomly generated names for untitled files, but they're all authored by hand. And there's what, like a few hundred of them that were just like manually entered at a big list. But then after you get past like the 500th one, it's just like, stop making untitled files. Like we're running out of names and it's like, please stop, like go away. You know, like, and like the next 50, <laughs> you're just like, like warnings. <laughs> and the 51st is like, our company has collapsed. There's nothing more we can do. Why have you done <laughs> <Exactly>. this? Exactly. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. yeah. So my topic is AI remastered Rick Astley. Uh, did you two watch this video? I'm uh, watching it now. I definitely should have done this as homework. I didn't didn't realize. <laughs> I mean, you can get the gist of it in 15 seconds. I'm assuming you've seen the original music video. Oh no, never. 
Okay. All right. I'm I'm just kidding. <laughs> Congratulations. This is your first Rick roll. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it's the video that's remastered, not the audio. Is that the oh, case? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And okay. That's make sure it's playing a, uh, at the HD level. Because at first I was like, oh yeah, this looks okay. And then I, I moved it up to the the remaster at 60 yeah sorry to be clear here this is this is the what like 4k 60 hertz rick astley or something like that i really want to take see the original i am curious if you have a link i mean it is on youtube <laughs> uh let me just youtube rick roll real quick so you've never you've never been rick rolled uh we should have was we need to delete everything we just said and just insert a rickroll into this podcast. Oh yeah, the, the whole this whole discussion it goes away. Yeah, this is incredible upscaling. And by incredible, I mean I just sent a frame of it that he looks like Jimmy Neutron. It's like <laughs> everything made of it's like plastic. It's like a action figure where all the details have been like painted on. I have to admit I didn't try pausing the video. <laughs> Oh, I see it. It's all in the sideburns or the the, hair, the side of the head. I mean, I recommend uh, turning the speed down to 25% while on the remaster. It's very good. Okay. All right. Yeah. This is what they don't want you to know. Yeah, I was I was reacting to like just the 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 gestalt uh, <laughs> and I was pretty convinced. And so what that was bringing out to me was then like, okay, now that I'm seeing all these scenes in high resolution, like he's just, he's singing in front of a fence. Who spends 4K <laughs> on a fence? <laughs> was that the cost of the production budget? I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> these scenes were all chosen to look good at like a TV resolution. Right. And then when you show them at uh, 4K, they're like, this is incredibly simple looking. Yeah. that I mean, that totally applies to like a lot of formats, right? Like when you do like a super de-resed game, you know, the content has to fit the, the frame and all this stuff. And then if your engine is like native in that mode, then great, right? Uh, if right. It's like Pico 8 or something. But like if it's Unity and you have your like massive shader that like you know downscales by four and then posturizes and then like does a um a bayer dither or something and then you like accidentally turn the shader off you're like this looks awful <laughs> <laughs> like what is this game you know except for like the 16 pixel uh, vfx that i that i've made for this thing but yeah so i totally totally agree with that i'm seeing the chain link fence as we speak I like the idea of upscaling it to 4K and then using like a like a CRT filter to like de-res it a bit back down to like <laughs> oh yeah get it get it back down yeah I would like to see like what a widescreen AI would do with this like what if it just had to fill in what was on either side of the frame to make it a <laughs> 16 by 9 image <laughs> or like content aware scale to like widen everything right yeah. I mean, it would just be like a content-aware field that was also aware of time and not just space. Temporal coherency. So, for a while, there was a bunch of memes that were like content-aware scaled videos, and it, yeah. it tries to recognize what's important, and so it like widens people's eyes and mouth. <laughs> the one that stands out is like the woman being like, she's like shouting, and she's like, because it's important! 
and like her mouth gets bigger as it goes. <laughs> uh yeah. What, what weren't there a bunch of memes about? Maybe this is what you're describing. Uh, f- features on people's face just rapidly scaling and and descaling relative to the like fixed size of their head. Yeah, yeah I feel like that was that was Neil Cicerega's thing for a while. There's also this shot in these in this video where he's singing underneath a bridge and like the underside of the bridge is lit by like I think they were they took a searchlight and reflected it off of like a pot of water. Oh yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. A uh, timestamp please. It happens recurringly but at 1 minute 27 seconds is a pretty good spot where it like zooms out across that thing. Oh, I see. Oh, I totally see it. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I guess I assumed it was a projector, but actually they're just much more low tech, which is awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm just assuming it looks like water caustics to me. Also noticing this like single lamp post, which just blasted out on the on like the bloom here. I'm like, I'm wondering like when they shot it, are they like, this is part of our, our lighting? Yeah. Right. <laughs> is this a set actually like you know when you look at it oh maybe it's not i guess not <laughs> yeah it, so I, I actually have uh i have i have information about this because someone tweeted that they had found the underside of the bridge and they posted a photo <laughs> that was pretty convincing like yeah that looks like the right underside of a bridge to me and then i uh quote tweeted it saying that it looks fake because it doesn't look like it's lit by a searchlight <laughs> reflecting off of a bottle of pot of water. And then in my Frog Fractions tab on TweetDeck, they said that the creator of Frog Fractions quote tweeted their bridge tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's the best moment in their lives. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, so I'm glad I could facilitate. I mean, I hope that was good. <laughs> the network at work watching it in slow motion that it feels like his face is like a mask that moves with the frame sometimes maybe that's just rick astley's face never mind <laughs> he's a, he's a shapeshifter i mean what can we can we say he's that that face combined with that voice is always going to look fake yeah i think that's just what i'm seeing all right i found a section where He's like clapping his hands and there's a shadow. It's at two minutes, 10 seconds. And the hand just disappears. It's a bit, it's a bit fishy. There's definitely some smudge filtering around the hands. I think he just spins his hand. I think this is, I think we're deconstructing reality. I feel like I see what you're talking about. Like it does seem, it does seem like the, the hand teleports rather than moving. It turns out this was actually the original 4K recording and really every this is just a litmus test to discover whether uh we all know what the real world looks like all right now i have to just look at that scene in the original video to see if it has the same effect <laughs> no we just we need one of those um uh triple a game crytek things where you drag the slider from like from one half of the screen to the other half oh watching it a quarter speed i do see your what you're talking about so, I think I understand what's going on here. At the 30 frames a second instead of 60 that uh, the original video is going at, his hand 
from one frame moves like to right above his shoulder to in front of his face so that his face occludes it in the shadow. Yeah. And so, the hand basically, as far as the, as the AI, AI is concerned, the hand disappears and then it reappears on the other side of his head. So, like looking at the original video, it's like very clear how that happened. Uh, I, I I feel you. I, I can definitely say concretely that I have never looked at this video uh, with so much so much detail. I mean, now I now I will permanently know things about this video. I am I'm, I'm kind of digging it. I'm kind of like one of the top like from now on one of the topics could be like let's just watch this music video at a quarter speed together and talk about it. Yeah, I had never actually noticed the bartender in the, in the content of this video. I think I had always gotten it in the Rick, like the Rickroll context. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got Rickroll. And then I hadn't sat down and observed like there's a little plot line with the bartender who's like, why are these people dancing? And then he gets into it. And I've seen that in other music videos. Like the idea, like a bystander who's like, oh, this is good music. Specifically a bartender. Oh, interesting. This this bartender, yeah, has definitely got some moves. There's some pretty great ones, like the... Um, when he slams himself against a fence? <laughs> yeah, that, that that's the one I was leading up to. He's <laughs> <laughs> sort of just casual run at fence and and fall off. I mean, he looks pretty graceful, you know, while he's, while he's doing it, to be sure. So, at least in the entry, you know. That is a category of dance move that I like across... <laughs> genres of dance is like <laughs> doing something graceful that anyone else would just wreck themselves like doing and would just look like they were just wrecking themselves for no reason like if you don't do it right it doesn't look anything like you were even attempting dance it looks like you were just smashing yourself into a thing it's like how when you try to do the dragon punch in street fighter unless you get it perfect you just like look like you're flailing around yeah <laughs> that is that is a nugget that that needs to be highlighted um not just in street fighter but just in general in games i would like that to be 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 a thing in party games more generally it would be interesting if like the game recognized like oh this is a failed dragon punch and then like and it has a, like a failed dragon punch animation sometimes i feel that way when i'm trying to express an idea is like if I get really <laughs> close to expressing the idea, I've like failed to express the idea. And it's like the most confusing it could possibly be. <laughs> right. Right. Negative utility. All right. Let's do another one. Woo. All right. Uh, this is a, uh, this is a quote, air quotes right in Max asks. <laughs> <laughs> Kegel based video games and sex UI. Take it away, Max. So I got, some ads on Facebook for a really interesting product, which is, it's kind of a pressure sensitive dildo that, uh, you, you play Tetris with. Yes. You basically, you have one, you have one range of pressure, which is like, you can squeeze on it or you can not squeeze on it. And this company that makes this thing, they had like all these different games. There was like a Flappy Bird clone. Uh, <laughs> are these all vagina themed games or is it just a bird? No, no, it was specifically, they were very like, this is just an exercise tool. And it was, it was kind of taking the angle of like, this is just a health exercise where you're, you're strengthening your vagina. And so here's, uh, 
like, here's a set of just games you could do on the bus. No one will know you're kegeling <laughs> to control this game. Right. Yeah. The gamification. So what we fit was uh, not willing to do. Right. Unlike the portable urination games where everybody knows what you're doing on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> I've never played that game. <laughs> Me either. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> hypothetical and does not actually exist, FYI, but should. I think, though, I, I do see a lot of people playing that on the NYC subway. <laughs> um, I've never joined in. I don't I don't know if it's like single player or... You ask them if they're winning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I once, um, uh, I was, again, Jonah and I have a, have a category of game jams that we have yet to explore called bodily needs. Uh-huh. And I'm really excited to, uh, to explore this further. But anyways. Yeah. I, I'm just imagining it's a switch, but you piss on it. Very simple. <laughs> like the games have to be short because you can only piss for so long. But you could do kegels, presumably, for much longer than that. Depending on uh, how fit you are, yeah. Um, it's also, they they suggest it for, like, anal strengthening as well, although it doesn't have, like, a flared end, so I guess you would just live with this in you for a long time. <laughs> right, right. Well, the screen could double as a flared end. Oh, I see. Oh, is this a USB thing? It's a Bluetooth thing. Right. Oh, what's the I.O.? Okay, so it's Bluetooth. Okay. <laughs> it's PS2 cable. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. I really, I was looking at their contact info because I, I was like, I want to approach them. Can I be a first party or like a second party developer? Right. Yeah. Because I want to get in on this platform. And my my concept, right, is an FPS game. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm to fire the different guns it's like uh, a different rate of of kegels and holding like for an automatic rifle you have to like hold down and then for a semi-auto you can just like rapidly fire but then you just have to rapidly kegel or there's like a specific motion it seemed like there was also a gyroscope in it because you could like do sits and stands so i was thinking you could like do a backflip to reload and then keep kegeling (laughs) so what are what, what is the input space? So clearly there's probably like a pressure sensitive analog axis, right? But then there's also a gyro. So what yeah, let let me in on that. Yeah, as far as my kind of 20 minutes of snooping on this after I got the Facebook ad was it looks like there's only like a pressure sensor and a gyro and it it seems like there's that's it. So it doubles as a motion controller. That's pretty useful. So if like, you know, if you've lost your PS move, yeah, thankfully you have this thing around. Right. Yeah. This reminds me of one of these games I'm working on about. It's like one of those like physics-y sort of pick where your foot lands to run around type games. And at one point we were like, let's use the um, gyro in the switch for like another analog axis. Right. And at one point we had the idea yeah, you should just throw your switch in the air, and if it flips around, like, the character will do a backflip in the game. So, <laughs> in general, I'm pretty, uh, pretty behind, like, the idea of creative use of, uh, of, of, of motion controllers. But my other question is, are the games any good? And I, I, this is, like, what I really want to know. I mean, obviously, I didn't, I didn't get to try any of them, because uh, I, I did not order the product. I think it was a Kickstarter 
so I don't know the game feel, as it were. <laughs> but I I do feel like they, they were kind of limiting their design space too much. Because definitely also because it's Bluetooth to the phone, I believe some of them were like mixing that. So you were controlling part of it with the phone and then one part of the control was was on the Kegel uh, sensor. Sorry, I, I just had an image of like, this is an alternative input to Jackbox. Because I just feel like <laughs> everyone everyone has one. <laughs> Not to get um, too too crude, but I did have this idea that I've been pitching to friends, but it requires, I think, a very specific level of comfort with your friends. But having like a like a werewolf type game, but it's that one person has like a vibrator on them, and you have to. <laughs> Uh, determine who it is. <laughs> what through through like narrative? Yeah, just asking questions of uh, people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I don't think I'm ready to play that game with you. Yeah, maybe a few more episodes, and then we can try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll build up to it. There's one where you just have an electric toothbrush in your mouth, and then. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the seer. <laughs> I guess the more generally comfortable version maybe it would be like one person has eaten something really spicy <laughs> and you and you smell everyone's breath. Well, that would give away. You can just only ask <laughs> questions and then everyone gets a pepper. One pepper is uh, spicy. Figure out I I feel like it would be pretty straightforward to determine who got the spicy pepper. I mean, depending on how <laughs> spicy the pepper is. <laughs> that might be true for the vibrator game, too. Maybe these have the same flaw. <laughs> well, we'll just have to play test to find out. Don't mix the two games. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Yes. Aaron, your topic is Death Stranding, Tenet, and Responsible Creativity. So I recently played Death Stranding. By recently, I think I played it in December. Also saw Tenet, Chris Nolan's Tenet in, uh, I think, around around that time and was thinking about both works. And, you know, as, as one does, sort of connecting the, the dots between the two things, you know, like maybe this is a bit of a soapbox. Who knows? I uh, definitely a Kojima fan. I think it's funny we were talking about... Um, like internal consistency earlier with Russian doll and also some some Japanese stuff. This is pretty funny. But why I say responsible creativity here, I'm kind of referring to this idea that as a high profile AAA designer, right, like Kojima or like Nolan, you kind of have this platform, right, that you can utilize for your work. And you definitely know that uh, a lot of people are going to consume it. And so I think it's probably not too contentious of a claim that there's some level of responsibility that, you know, is involved with um, being someone like that and making a large work and just in making a large work in general, something of the scope of Death Stranding or the scope of Tenet, right? Also is um, there's like an inherent responsibility in that. And to be clear, um, uh, everyone is responsible for many, many things. And uh, I am uh, strictly talking about creative responsibility and less about, for example, like um, social responsibility. So what I'm referring to in particular is I had heard about Death Stranding for a bit. I think kind of the meme was, oh, it's a, you know, it's a walking simulator, but done right. Or, you know, like I really want to make walking interesting and, and this is sort of the thing. 
And I had had like a number of chats over the years with, with you know, various people is like, you know, walking is one of the most under underdeveloped concepts in, in games, right? Where like it almost always is just mapped to like an analog or digital axis that just has like one speed or you're just moving in some direction. And, um, you know, I had a lot of conversations about this over the years and there are some interesting things out there and alt movement systems that we've all seen and, you know, uh, from the absurd, like to the Bennett Foddy type stuff, but all the way back to kind of like more accessible things. And even with like Wolfire, when you see receiver, I always love like referencing their run uh, system or the run mechanic um, because I think it's a great kind of like little bite-sized example of like what movement could be if it was kind of thought through and in, and in, if in receiver if you haven't played it to run you kind of have to like spam the directional axis so on a keyboard right if you're trying to run forward you just like tap W and the speed at which you run is a direct relate has a direct relationship with like the rate at which you are tapping Right. And it feels very diegetic and it feels very like very physical and very kind of visceral because, you know, that game's already really freaky. Uh, you know, you see some like random robot and you're like, oh, you know, and you're like running away and you're just like spamming W and, you know, the footsteps kind of match up with that rate and it all kind of feels very integrated. So wait, hang on. I want to I want to d- dive into that a little bit. So if you tap faster, you run faster. Yes, because I was kind of expecting it to be more like um, Bennett Foddy's other running game, Winner versus Loser, <laughs> where you have to tap at a certain rate or you trip. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm super into that, actually. I didn't know that was in a Bennett Foddy game. Uh, I've worked on like a number of physical games where I have some variant of like falling over based on like exceeding your input. And and I think in general, this is like a niche that really needs to be developed, especially <laughs> in like party games. I really think tripping is a thing that needs to happen in like FPS controller models. And in general, like another great thing in the space is um, uh, Sub Rosa by Cryptic C, right? Who he, he also does a bunch of great things with um, physically based character models, which I'm like, I'm super into. And uh, you really feel the difference, right? When, oh, I'm just a capsule and when I hit something, I, I go to zero velocity versus, oh, I just like hit a wall and I'm I'm like caroming off of it or I'm falling over or I'm tripping or something. Yeah. Definitely pretty visceral. I, uh, this, I think this is, a, this is like dwelling on this one thing when you were trying to make a larger point, but I want to get this out. <laughs> the basic like move a analog stick to walk uh, is... It maps pretty well to when you're walking intuitively because you don't think about you don't think about walking when you walk. You just like I want to go in that direction, so you go. But where it breaks down is like uneven terrain where you have to actually deliberately place your feet. That stuff uh, can get pretty like it gets kind of gamey sometimes. Like it gets like you're you're like traversing a platforming level on on a hike, but. That's where that uh, just push forward to walk breaks down. We're like, well, if you want to make a game about Death Stranding, one of the things Death Stranding was trying to do was making hiking uneven terrain interesting uh, and just pushing forward to walk like doesn't like at that point that that model completely completely breaks down. I think this is a great point. And in fact, is uh, I think part of what I was building up to. Oh, good. Um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. And this is kind of like the letdown, right? Which is um I feel more okay criticizing AAA than indie because I mean I feel very like 
personally attached to indie devs and so on, right? Um, but for Kojima, I mean, he can take some hits. I mean, he's he's been around for some time, and you know, there's kind of the 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 typical like. Well, in any event, so yes, uh, I, there was definitely some hype on on Death Stranding for me, and of course, the production value is insane, and. The same is true for Tenet, which, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll touch on as well. And it's like, you know, the production value is great, right? Um, of course, you know, it's a Kojima game. 50% of Death Stranding is just watching a movie. There's exposition all over the place, you know, which I think is pretty questionable. But to be honest, not really the point. That's kind of up to, like, you. The real thing that matters, right? And, and you kind of just said this, is what the game is about, right? It's about moving through space fundamentally and... Uh, really, it's about moving through the United States, except it's just Iceland, mega scans. But <laughs> but we can all call it like the United States. Um, and uh, where it really breaks down for me is I felt like Kojima was scared of opening up to the emergence of moving through space. And I assume that he had sort of arterial control over this. Maybe it wasn't him. I mean, I know it's a large team. But what the movement system feels like is a state machine. And furthermore, it feels like a system of quick time event reactions to uh, what should be like a very analog organic environment, right? And clearly what you have is a reduction of this, a discretization of like what could be interesting. And this feels very cheap. And, uh, you know, it kind of makes me sad, right? Where I'm like walking through a valley and it's like, now there is strong wind, like binary switch, like react to strong wind, right? Or like, yeah. you know, whenever you fall over, it's like almost kind of difficult to do so. Like really the solution is just to press the buttons and there's sort of like the analog triggers is like, it's kind of like cough to achieve this, but it like doesn't really pan out and it just feels very like state machine right? Like very non, non-analog-y. And you know, maybe we'll talk about Tenet, maybe we won't, but at least in terms of the responsible creativity, what kind of makes me a little sad is this game took a while to make, a lot of production value, lots of stuff going on. I feel like there are a lot of stabs at what could have been um, a really deep experience and ultimately sort of ended up being superficial. And I, I find this kind of uh, not not so great when when you have someone that has this platform to to do work like this, and so um, there are going to be a lot of people playing this game, right? Or that have already played this game, that are that are now going to come out of it being like, well, I always thought walking sucks, and I just played a walking game and it sucked, and like, right? This is what happens when people try to make games that are not like you know shooting people, right? <laughs> And that's that's a bit unfortunate, right? I mean, because yeah. <laughs> I just feel like in a game jam, you know, some some people could have got together, really thought hard about what it means to move, and maybe put together something a little bit more core to that experience. Yeah, like if I were if I were given a, a like a, I don't know how many people worked on that game, but let's say it was five hundred. If I were given a five hundred person <laughs> team and told to make uh, a triple A walking simulator, a hiking simulator. I would definitely be breaking that 500 person team up into teams just big enough to do prototypes and just do prototypes for like six months. You have the left foot team, the right foot team, the knee team. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I agree with you that like that game's hiking mechanics were just not very interesting. And I agree with you that that's a shame. And I agree with you that like, they they definitely could have done a 
So it's possible that like Kojima had a very specific artistic direction in mind for like, <laughs> I want a hiking game that works, not just a hiking game, but a hiking game that works in this exact way. And uh-huh. it just turned out not to be fun or something like that. Right. Which is its own problem. Oh, I have a guess as to maybe the other thing about having such a large team and like all of the, you know, like beautiful captures of like Icelandic and like kind of post-apocalypse environments and like all of the, the other like visual artistic effects that are in there. Mm -hmm. One time I did this hike with my family on this uh, holy mountain that optionally you can hike it uh, because it's sacred as an additional ritual. You can hike it without shoes. And I tried this because I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to try that. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds awesome. And it was not like super painful or anything, actually. But I got really frustrated because it was this intensely beautiful mountain where it's like full of vibrant life and uh, historical things around you. But I was really unable to see any of it because I was constantly looking at my footing. Right. (laughs) And it became like, instead of 10% of my attention, uh, it was like 90% of my attention was not stabbing my foot on something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, think of how much, think of how much art budget they could have saved. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> burn yeah there's some moments in there right where kojima plays his like special playlist you know of songs and, and you're engaging with it it's also a little bit hard for me to do that um this is like a separate conversation just because i know what mega scans are and i i think one of the grading things i find in games in general which is a totally separate issue is like the kind of scale play Negative. I love scale play, like in general. But what I don't like is when, like, the Skyrim Greybeard Mountain is like the same size as you know, like a building. And it's not because I have some deep, uh, like, eccentric tendency to care about the relative size of things. It's just that you know, one of the things I loved when hiking mountains was really taking in the beauty of 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 the kind of authenticity of it, or or like kind of this holistic. Like you are looking at a massive thing or or you are seeing sort of a unique perspective. And and similarly in Death Stranding, and it's a, it's a very good looking game, but you have a lot of like manufactured uh, uh, scenes, right? Where it's sort of like, well, this mountain isn't really this big. It's kind of artificially scaled, but we've like tried to set up this bit that you walk on for like the photo mode. And it's pretty, but you know, it's not real. Again, separate conversation. So sometimes I get kind of carried away with like, Am I looking at something that is authentically interesting or am I looking at like some meshes that have been squashed to kind of, I don't know, fit the space more? Maybe this is like an unpopular opinion. I don't know. (laughs) But I think the good point that you make, Max, which is really valuable, is there is definitely like a budget the player has from a UX standpoint for like how much fiddling they can do. And like a foddy game would not have worked in Death Stranding for sure. The, The sort of canonical one, I suppose. Right? I mean, you can't. You can't be like quapping around like the mountains. So so there definitely has to be like some work done to find the optimal balance of those two things. I just think they were a bit off. I think that's reasonable. That's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Uh, Max, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can email me at max, M-A-X-X 
itch.infinity at gmail.com or look at my itch.io page for several slightly shoddy small games, which is itch.io slash mechem, M-E-C-H-C-E-M. And Aaron, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, you can find me at um, my website, aaronc.media, that's A-A-R-O-N-S-E-E dot media, like media player. And uh, there's some links to my Twitter and itch and some other work that I've done. Great. All right. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks for saving me when I failed to schedule any guests. Absolutely. Thanks for having <laughs> me back. Oh, I have a question for you, Jim. My partner found a CD copy of the video game Byzantine from 1997 unopened. <laughs> How do I go about playing this? <laughs> uh, what platform is it for? Windows. So like Windows 95. I think I'm guessing so based on the year. It's funny because Wikipedia just says Windows. It doesn't say yeah, on the box what it's for. Um, so as, the Windows 95 era is kind of difficult to emulate as far as I know. Um, so your your best bet like might actually be uh, to to get an old computer. Okay. <laughs> right. Which I guess those aren't so expensive these days. Yeah. Or, or maybe you could like, it probably doesn't use graphics acceleration. So maybe you could like get a, um, I don't know. What's the, what's the trendy um, run another computer in your computer program nowadays? Oh, right. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but that's definitely a, you would have to, so the IO would have to work though, right? The disk drive to the thing, which is probably a thing, or you could like, you could probably mount it, like like rip it to your hard drive and then mount it in the... That's the second thing I was going to suggest for sure. Do either of you know, is it possible just to like install Windows 95 on a modern computer? <laughs> just as its primary <laughs> really operating system? I don't know. I, I think it's a, you, it, it's more likely if it's a 32-bit computer than if right. it's 64, is my guess. I think almost all like PC compatibles will do like 640 by 480 VGA output. So, I think you could do it, probably. All right. Like, the CD drivers might be the trickiest part. Like, modern computers don't have optical drives. Yeah. Hmm. So, you have to get an external external disk drive. And, like, Windows 95 might... I don't know, I don't know if that era supported, like... I don't know if it could just mount a thumb drive. It's funny how external media has, like, a little bit of a shallow spot. Where it's like everything's external, and then there's an assumed internal set, and then right then everything's external again. <laughs> By the way, is all this is this all intended to go in the show? I don't know. I was just I that's an event that happened in my life today, and I I jokingly told my gentleman caller Michael that I was like, oh well, I know someone who knows some some vintage uh, computer game <laughs> stuff. And I happen to be talking to them tonight. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I did. I couldn't have a more definitive answer for you. No, thank you for, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's good. You got, you snuck in an extra topic in there. It's a bonus topic. <laughs> Secret bonus. Uh, Max, you did the typical itch.io URL flip. I just wanted to make sure you knew 
I think you reported like itch.io slash metkim, but itch.io unfortunately doesn't work like this, like every other site. It has to be your username dot itch.io. Oh. If you wanted to re-record or anything. I just wanted I just wanted to let you know. Well, uh, in order to get my gains, you have to listen to the secret stinger. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll put the right version in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.